continue our study in the book of James, and we've been in these handful of verses for a while, and James is dealing with the will of God. And he's addressing the congregation, and he's in this handful of verses saying, there's three attitudes that I see in your lives concerning the will of God. The first one, some were ignoring the will of God. And we studied that for about two weeks. This James brought out at least four points of why it's very foolishness to ignore the, the, the will of God. I mean, when you can go to the one that knows the end from the beginning, the one that's all wise and all powerful, and you refuse to do that, that's not very smart, is it? Considering that life is short and life is complex and life is frail and all those. I mean, but secondly, and this is where we are tonight, those were disobeying. Some were just disobeying. Some were not just ignoring. Some knew, but they chose to disobey. And we're dealing with that. And the question we're going to, we started last week, we'll finish this week. What does God do with his children that disobey? So we read, starting with verse 13, James 4 and verse 13. Now listen, attention, James says, you who say tomorrow, today or tomorrow, we're going to go to this or that city, we're going to spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and you brag. All such boasting is evil. Verse 17, that's our, our thought the last couple of weeks. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Those that are disobeying. Those that are disobeying. And we asked ourselves last time, what happens to Christians who deliberately disobey the will of God? We started out this thought with why do people who know the will of God deliberately disobey? And we, we covered that a few points. But now, what does God do? Number one, we said that he, he, he disciplines his children that disobey, like a loving father. Because he loves them and doesn't want to see them going down the wrong road. Wants them to know when he's not pleased with their behavior. Like any good parent, he's a heavenly father that disciplines us because he loves us. It proves he loves us and it proves we're his sons. But you don't discipline those that aren't yours. You discipline those you love and those that belong to you. So we're studying that. Second thought we can get to later tonight. People are in danger of losing their rewards if they're disobeying God's will. One day when we stand before the Lord and he gives our rewards for how we lived our life, some are going to find out they didn't do what God called them to do or they didn't do it sincerely. And all their efforts were, were impure. And we're going to look at that. We said number three, another thing that happens to Christians that disobey the will of God is that they fail to accomplish the will of God for their lives. They fail. They, they, they don't see the dream come to pass. They don't fulfill their calling. They, they don't see their purpose. They don't see those things. King Saul, Samson, Jonah, Demas, Gehazi, on and on. And then number four, we said that Another thing that really is uh, a sad part of disobeying God is that it brings unnecessary trouble not only to my life, but to others that are in my life. You see, no matter how innocent my children are, if I don't live right, they're going to pay a price for it. It don't make any difference how wonderful my wife is. If I'm a lousy husband and I don't walk with God, it's going to have a negative effect on her. You cannot help. You affect your world. And when you knowingly disobey God, you bring more curse than blessing. 
And we see that throughout the Word of God, don't we? I mean, David's sin brought much judgment to his family. You saw the ripple effects. Abraham, his impulsive desires put his wife in some really tough situations. We can go on and on, look at the various things. Hey, nation of Israel, so on and so forth. But let's, let's study this tonight. What we did last time is we started out and we said, well, the Lord will lovingly discipline those that he loves. And we started out with Hebrews 12. We used as one example, Hebrews 12, 5 and 11. We really dug into that. And we simply, without going back there, we gave four thoughts. We gleaned four thoughts from that. But it's the first thing God will do because he loves us. He'll discipline us and he'll chastise us. Because he doesn't want to see us continuing in that behavior. He doesn't want to see us going down that path. Plus, he wants to let us know when he's not pleased with our behavior. So we looked at Hebrews 12, 5 through 11, and we gleaned these thoughts. We said, number one, when it comes to the discipline of the Lord, don't make light of it. It's right there in Hebrews 12. Don't make light of it. Understand God has a purpose in this. God's trying to get your attention. But then secondly, we said, don't faint because of it. Don't faint because of it. Don't give in. Don't get weary. Don't start thinking, God don't love me. Wake up. God loves you. He's just trying to get you in the right place. Amen? He's just trying to teach you you that he's not pleased with that behavior and you need to make an adjustment. We said not only don't make light of it, don't faint because of it. Remember the proofs of God's discipline. When God disciplines us, it proves he loves us and it proves we're his children. That's what the Bible teaches. Then lastly, remember the products of his discipline. When we learn from it, Hebrews 12 says, it helps us share in his holiness. It brings the fruit of righteousness in our lives if we're trained by it. So if we learn our lessons, in the end, we'll be thankful for it. In the end, we can rejoice over it. So we studied that last time, but we're still with that thought. We're still with that thought. Again, the Lord, um, what does he do to his children that disobey? Number one, he's going to chastise us. And we looked at Hebrews 12, but there's also a thought that when God disciplines us, there's different measures and different expressions of God's discipline. Now, we won't go into that great communion chapter, 1 Corinthians 11, but no takers, you can write it down. We've covered it before. But isn't it interesting? We see in there some extreme measures of God dealing with people. In fact, when, when you study that, because again, the, the dealings of the Lord are determined by what we've done. You know. The the punishment going to fit the crime with God. You know what I mean? He's going to make sure things work out there. But you know, in Corinthians, they were abusing the holy communion table. And that was a holy, some things are more holy than others. We make a big hollow blue over things God don't care all that much about. And there's certain things God cares a lot about. And we need to wake up to, but that's another sermon for another day. Amen. Now, we read in 1 Corinthians 11, that God said because, and he'd warned them, they'd been warned, because they were not treating the communion table as holy. They were not discerning the blood and body. He said, you know what? Some are weak, some are sick, and some are dying prematurely in the church. Wow. Now he says the remedy to that is let a man examine himself. Make sure that when you take it, you're living right. Because it's a holy thing. Amen? See, not all sins are the same. You know, speeding's a sin. Well, you can go 16 to 55, amen? Or you can rob the bank. What's worse? Amen? Isn't that true? Isn't that right? 
I mean, so, so we, we sometimes we get silly with our thinking. No, no, there, there's a greater judgment for a greater sin. And so holy does he consider that communion table that when that church continued to be irreverent towards it, Paul had to address them and say, listen, don't you realize why some of these things are happening? It's not the devil. It's that you are acting irreverent towards something that is very holy and very precious to God. Now, we can stop that by examining ourselves and doing it the right way. Amen? But now, what I want to look at tonight, under the same thought, is a less extreme form of God's discipline. But it is a form of God's discipline. We can call it the monkey wrench discipline of God. Um, we can call it the, um, I'm going to take back my hand of blessing discipline of God. The discipline, now some people say, nothing works out. Well, the way of the transgressor's hard. Y'all stop and see where we transgressing around here. Amen? Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So someone's got to, let's look, go to Haggai. Go to Haggai with me. And we're, we're going to look at this together. And again, let's go there. Again, this is certainly less dramatic than in Corinthians. Amen? God not knocking them dead here, not getting sickness here. But they, you know, you mess with holy things. Don't mess with holy things. I remember a man of God that had a, had a word of knowledge. Word of knowledge. Powerful. Powerful. But, but one of the younger men didn't reverence that, and he began to mock it a little bit. I mean, within a year or so, he was going crazy. You can't mock holy things and get away with it. Oh, we play games with God we got to fear the Lord a little bit more. Amen? But now I'm getting back to Haggai. Let's look at this. Oh, Lord. I'm going to talk about when God deals with us, the monkey wrench dealings of God. Hallelujah. Here we go, Haggai. First chapter. Let's start with verse 2. We're going to read a little bit. But, but this is the Lord talking to us because God disciplines those he loves. And when we disobey, God will deal. Verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, God's house, remains in ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. They had time for themselves, didn't have time for God. <laughs> God says, I'm not pleased with that. I, 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 I can, you know, you don't have to give God what belongs to him, but boy, the Lord certainly knows a way to, all right. Verse 5, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. He says, consider your ways. Give a careful thought to your ways. Think about how you're living. Think about how you're acting. You've plant, verse 6, you've planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in purses or pockets with holes in it. Woo! Oh, my. That's called the monkey wrench discipline. Something always going wrong. Working real hard and just not panning out. First thing I do is let a man examine himself. Can you say Amen. Before I blame the devil, before I start binding the big demon over Durant, forget that. Take a look at your heart and say, God, am I missing it somewhere? 
Have I given place to the devil? Have I sown a seed I need to repent of? Isn't that right? I've heard God speak to me. Why don't you quiet down? Why you, oh, you can just stop that right there until you get that thing right. You, you can be as fervent as you want. If you need to get something right, God says, I'm not. Amen? This is what we got here. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Verse 7, give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I might take pleasure in it and be honored. God says, put me first. Verse 9, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. We expect, we expect, and don't come to pass. Oh, God, where did I miss it? When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Declares the Lord, because my house, which remains in ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you. Because of who? Because of who? I know, I know, we, we don't, I mean, it's amazing. Sometimes we miss these things, don't we? I know. And you put it on the prayer line. Forget the prayer line. We got to get our house in order. You see, God not talking to us about his house. His house is beautiful and paid for because of the faithfulness of God's people. Sacrifice of God's people, beautiful. Amen? So that's, he's not, he, but the principle, he's dealing with the principle here. The principle is God first in these areas. Because if priority is wrong, we bring upon ourselves the monkey wrench. We bring us the frustration, the spinning of the wheels. Amen? We're trying and we're, we're laboring, but every time we look in there, my, where to go? We do our best, and every time it seems like we take a step forward, something else. A little farther. Verse 10, therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their due. In the earth, its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, whatever the ground produces on men, cattle, on labor, on the labor of your hands. God said, I'm not blessing the work of your hands because you haven't put me first. Isn't that amazing? This is one of the ways God disciplines, you see. And now the mature believer, when we're not walking in blessing, the first thing we do is stop and examine ourselves. Lord, did I give place to the devil? Is there something you were talking to me about that I ignored? Have I offended a brother and I need to make things right? God, is there something? Then once we do that, then we'll take the next step and stand and pray through and resist the devil or do what we have to do. But first, I'm going to take a look inside. There's no sense in trying to fight him if I'm the problem. Amen? Because a lot of times, I, I, I'm the problem. You see? But if I can get things right a little later, they're going to get things right. And God's going to stir up, his, stir up the spirit uh, of, of, the, of the priest and of the governor. And they begin to get things right. And they begin to build God's house. And all of a sudden the sky is opened. And all of a sudden the rain falls. Isn't that right? There's one old man of God, he used to always say, he says, it doesn't take a lot to get a river to flow. Just get rid of what's damming it up. Isn't that true? Oh, that river of the Holy Ghost will flow. We just got to get rid of the things that are damning it up. These are the disciplines. So we, we don't recognize these as disciplines, so we ignore them. See what I'm getting at? So we don't learn lessons. We just think, well, you know, it's the way life is. Well, no, the way life is, we're supposed to be blessed. 
His yoke is easy, his burden is light. We're supposed to have abundant life. So if something is hindering, I've got to say, what's going on here? We break this down. God's withholding the blessing. That's part of the discipline. It's bringing frustration, disappointment, exhaustion. That's part of the discipline. The two thoughts, very simply, priorities and adversities. Priorities. Put God first in our lives. Put God first in our lives. They, they were complaining that things weren't going well, and God says, hang on. Don't complain. Look at your heart. Look at what you're doing. We look at, God goes right to the heart of the matter. If you look at those first four verses, first thing we see from the people are excuses. They were saying, you know what? It's, it's not time to build. We can't build. We got other things to do. They gave excuses. Some people give excuses why they can't get right with God. Give excuses why they can't put God first. From excuses, well, they ignored the evidence that it was God's time. The favor of that heathen king to let them return, that showed it was God's time. That that heathen king would actually give them all that they needed to get the job done. They, They were given all they needed. That showed it was God's time. When we know the promises of God, now, the prophets had spoken, but they refused to believe and respond. It was God's time. There was excuses, but yet God says, look at the evidence. And finally, the people, you know, they, they like the old fighter that floated like a butterfly. You know what I mean? Stung like a bee. They had a lot of evasions, evasions. Their, their, their thinking was inconsistent. You ever talk to that backslider? You ever talk to that lukewarm, carnal Christian? They're very inconsistent in their thinking. You see, see, it, it, it wasn't time to put God first, but it was time to put themselves first. It wasn't time to take care of God's house, but it was time to take care of their house. Kind of inconsistent, wasn't it? They didn't have time to do the will of God, but man, they had time to do a whole lot of other things. And then sometimes when there's no blessing, they whine about it. Don't whine, repent. Don't whine, search your heart. And when you realize you've been ignoring God and not giving him first place, say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me. And watch God begin to restore things. Put God first and believe his promises. God's a covenant God. You know, God told Israel these things. He said, listen, if you don't do these things, I'll curse you. If you do these things, I'll bless you. God's promises are true, amen? Even the ones that have negative results. God says, listen, if you go to other gods, if you forsake me, I'll hold back the blessing. And how many know God's promises are yes and amen? But if you'll do things my way and you'll put me first, I'll pour out a blessing you can't contain. My goodness, my goodness, my goodness. When God deals with the hearts of his people, Lord, help us to be able to um, recognize, recognize the dealings of God and respond properly to the disciplines of God. So what we learn, James is dealing with a group. The first group ignored the will of God, and he says, listen, that's not very smart. You're businessman, and business is complex. I mean, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And meanwhile, you got an open access to the Almighty God that you can get wisdom from, and you can seek his advice and commit things to him, and you're not doing that? More you think if you had that kind of insight, if you had that kind of privilege, you take advantage of it, Amen. And they weren't. But secondly, he says, now some just are disobeying. You know what to do, but you're not doing it. How does God deal with that? We talked about why they did it. How does God deal with it now? 
God's going to discipline you. God will bring things into your life to wake you up. Depending on the, what you're doing will determine how God deals with you. So number one, God does discipline his people. Help us to grow up enough to recognize the disciplines of God so that when God begins to discipline us, we can be trained by it, we can learn from it, as Hebrews 12 teaches us, and we can grow out of it. And we can be quick to change direction and get things in order. Can you say amen? All right, let's keep going now. Here's the second thing. Not only will God lovingly discipline his children and deal with us to get us back on track, to show us the area he's not pleased with, God, there's also the danger of losing rewards in blessings, both now, but even more importantly in then. So look at me if you would. Go, go to um, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. And this is the Apostle Paul talking. And he's talking about the fact of, I'm, I'm going to discipline myself so God doesn't have to discipline me. Remember in 1 Corinthians, Paul, said, Paul, uh, Paul writes, if they would have disciplined themselves... If they would judge themselves, they wouldn't have come under judgment. Amen? So the remedy of keeping from God's discipline is to discipline ourselves. Amen? I just tell my boys, if you can't discipline yourself, someone else will. It might be mommy, daddy, it might be the law if you get crazy. If you don't learn to discipline yourself, somebody else will discipline you. Paul, in this context, said, Paul, the great apostle, he says, I'm going to discipline because I don't want to lose it on that day. I don't want to lose the rewards of heaven. I want Jesus. I want to hear well done. I want the Lord to be pleased with me when I see him. He says, do you know, do you not know, that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize. Running away as to get the prize. Man, live your Christian life as a way that you want to see Jesus and hear him say, well done. Amen? You're not ashamed to see him. You're not afraid of dying because you're living right. You're living holy. You're not just going through the motions of Christianity. You're serving God with all your heart. Can you say amen? Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. You know, the Corinthians, you know, the Corinth games were second only to the Olympics in those days. So they understood this language. They understood all this athletic terminology. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Amen? Worldly people, they train. Athletes train. Businessmen work. People in the world, they give their all for their goals and their gods and, and, their, and their plans. Amen? And whatever they get, even if it's something noble... It's temporal. It'll pass away. But what we're striving for is forever. The goals and the accolades and the achievements we're working towards never pass away. Amen? Therefore, because I'm looking for something that's going to last, I'm looking for something that matters. I don't run, Paul says, like a man running aimlessly. There's a purpose to your Christian life. There should be a plan and a purpose and an effort to your Christian life, a priority to your Christian life. Don't take this casually. Amen? Only weeds grow accidentally. If you want something, you've got to be an intentional Christian. You have to intentionally strive to know the Lord and walk with God and be a good Christian. So I don't run like a man just aimlessly. I don't fight like someone beating there. No. In fact, he says, I beat my body and make it my slave. I discipline my body. Amen? I've got discipline in my eyes. Don't look where you shouldn't look. God discipline that mouth. Don't say what you shouldn't say. 
Amen? Got to discipline it. See, that old nature, you know, I beat my body and make my slaves so that after I have preached to others, wow, and he preached to others, did he not? Ah, that man of God, God used like no one else. I mean, Paul. And Paul says, even after I preach to others, if I don't discipline myself, I might lose the prize at the end. I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I want to stand before the Lord and not be disqualified for the prize. Amen? I want to stand knowing that I've done his will the best that I know, that I've done my best to live right, to live holy, to be a good witness. Isn't that right? I, I want, but but I, you don't wait then, you do it now. You see what I mean? But Paul's saying, because I'm that day, I, I don't wait till I get there. Because I'm thinking of that day where one day I will stand before the Lord and I want the Lord to be pleased with me. When all said and done, who really cares what anyone else thinks ultimately when we stand before Jesus? It's what he thinks. Amen? Because I know I'm going to stand before him. I'm going to do all that I can here and now so that when I do stand before him, he's pleased with me and I haven't lost what I've been working so hard for. Amen? You see, and that's why if I live a disobedient life, not only will it hurt me here, it'll hurt me there. I might get in by the skin of my teeth, but, but I won't get the blessing of God like I want. I won't get the rewards of God that I desire. Amen? You know, John, First John talks about when we see him, we won't be ashamed. Is he saying that some Christians, when they see the Lord, will be ashamed? That some Christians, when they finally see Jesus, will actually feel a little bad. They say, no, they've been playing games and have been giving God their best. What a thought. What do I have? What's the next verse we have? Is it 1 Corinthians 3? Oh, here we go. Again, we're talking about um, when, when, what happens to Christians that disobey willfully. One other thing besides God disciplining us and God dealing with us, we can lose rewards. And I don't want to lose the reward. Amen? I certainly don't want to get disqualified for what God's called me to do here, but I certainly don't want to stand before him one day and find out he's not pleased with me because I didn't do what he said to do, or I didn't do it right, or I did it with the wrong motive or attitude. All right, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. This is 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10. And someone else is building on it, but each one should be careful how he builds. Each one should be careful how we build. Be careful how you live. Be careful if you're a teacher. Be careful how you teach. If you're witnessing someone, be careful how you witness. Do it right. Do it properly. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work, my work, your work, will be shown for what it is because the day. Somebody say the day. The day is coming when we got to stand before the Lord. Not talking about sin that happened on the cross. If you're a Christian, my sin was judged on Jesus on Calvary. This is a judgment of believers. God's going to scrutinize. Did I study? Did I prepare? Was my motives pure? Did I love the ones he sent me to? Did I do my best to give him my all? The day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. 
and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. You know, you, you just throw that Sunday school lesson together as you're walking out of the house. Uh-huh. Amen? Oh, yeah, God's going to test the quality. But here it's not talking quantity, quality. Did you put an effort into it? Did you pray over it? Did you share it sincerely? Did you get a burden for the people God gave you? Amen? I mean, God's, the fire, it's like, you know, that fire shows what's pure and what's impure. The fire shows what's genuine and what's counterfeit. Isn't that true? That, that fire, and there's the imagery. God says, I'm going to take your life, Zeno, and everything you've ever done from the time you started serving me. Every place you've ever gone, every church, every ministry, every assignment, and we're going to put it out there. The fire of God's going to come. And we're going to see what was proven genuine. We're going to see what the Father approved of. We're going to see what the quality of your ministry is. My goodness, my goodness. Let's go to my next one. What's my next one? Second Corinthians? Is that what we got? Let's go to Second Corinthians 5. Second Corinthians 5. Hallelujah. Because we're talking about what happens when, when a Christian sins knowingly. Amen? And we said, number one, God will discipline me. And I, I could do without that, all right? I don't know about you. Has God ever disciplined you? He's disciplined me a lot. And I've had to say, Lord, please help me learn this lesson quick because I don't want to go through this again. Isn't that true? God's not like a school system. He's not just going to pass you because he's tired of looking at you. You know what I mean? He might demote you. Isn't that true? You know, but, but he'll say, no, 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 no. I'm not, you, if you don't learn this lesson... We got science teachers here. No, we got math teachers. Photosynthesis. Photosynthesis. Will you believe I couldn't get that right? Had that on a test in 10th grade. I figured, ah, Mr. Malinowski, he's a good friend of mine. He won't ask that dumb question again. I didn't figure he didn't learn it the first time. What's the point, right? I got it wrong. All right, he won't ask it a second time. Would you believe he asked it a second time? I'm over two. <laughs> I said, no, nah, there's no way he's going to put it. Uh, three times. I said, there's no way. You know? And so I think he had mercy on me. And I think he came over and whispered in my ear a couple things, and I was able to. <sighs> Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Malinowski. But, you know, sometimes that's how people are with God. We just think, well, that mess, I don't have to learn. God said, hang on. Have you repented from that? Have you learned from that? If not, God says, I'm going to ask it again. I'm going to bring you through that test again. If you don't learn, no, 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 God says, I'm not just passing you because you're pathetic looking, Zeno. I mean, you know, I mean, I couldn't, get, I couldn't think of mantle one time, mantle, the, you know, the compound mantle. And he whispered in my ear, Mickey, Mickey. Even then, I thought mouse for a second. I mean, I, I, 10th grade, I wasn't with it. 10th grade, we weren't with it too much there. To find mantle, oh, Mickey Mantle, oh, mantle, it's the mantle. You know, that part of the, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. But God will discipline us to teach us, to improve us, to help us, to save us. Amen? I mean, I, I'm going to scribble it. Let me, let me get my scribble here. What are some of the reasons that God would discipline us to alert us to unpleasing behavior, behavior that's grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit. Amen? Other, sometimes it might be to chastise in a punishing way if we did something that is just blatantly sinful. He'll do it to stop us when we're heading in the wrong direction. You know, Lord willing, on Sunday, 
we're going to preach a message called the heaven-sent U-turn. And we're going to talk about Jonah. How do you know that big fish? God turned it around. Amen? He was going in the wrong direction, and God turned it around. And that's what, that's what, how about, sometimes he does it, he disciplines us, he deals with us to instruct us, adjust us, and teach us. That's what a coach does. You know, there's a phrase in sports, I don't know if anyone's into sports, but there's a phrase in sports, certain athletes, they like to be coached hard. The great ones like to be coached hard. That means they like coaches that are demanding of them. They like coaches that hold them accountable. They don't mind if a coach gets on them because they know the coach is going to help them become the best they can be. Some of the greatest athletes, they could be coached hard because they knew it was worth it. Because that coach is going to get the most, help them to get the most out of themselves. And sometimes we've got to be like that with the Lord. Amen? And not to be so sensitive to the dealings of God. But say, Father, I thank you. You want me to do your will more than I want to do your will. Thank you, Lord. And so just like a coach sometimes, he'll deal with us. You need to adjust that. I love you. You're my son. You're doing good. But no, no, that tone with your wife, that's Son, I need you to change your stance. I need you to move. No, it's not good. The coach, he'll adjust you, amen? He's not trying to, you know, he's not trying to condemn you. He's not saying you're terrible and you're the worst player. He's saying, no, son, your stance is off. If you go out there, you're not going to have position. You're not going to have the balance. You won't be able to move. And he'll adjust us. And God does it in our lives. You're going to go to work and that boss, for no reason, is going to blast you. You're going to like, what happened? God's going to say, well... You just blasted your 12-year-old. But you could get away with it. You're just reaping what you sowed. Now, I want you to treat your children better. My goodness. Are we getting anything here? These are the disciplines of God. That's how God works. Sometimes he'll coach me. Because he'll see things that I can improve on. He'll see habits. I'm picking up habits that are not going to be advantageous to success and victory. He's adjusting me. He's correcting me. He's changing my stance. He's changing my approach. Sometimes he brings dealings and disciplines to purify me, to purify me. You know, he'll let me go through some heat. Because, you know, the heat brings out the impurities in the, in the metal. Isn't that right? You know, if you've got metal and you put it in the heat treat, let that heat come on. And all of a sudden, the impurities, all that scum, right, comes to the top. Isn't that right? And if, and if that comes to the top, and you say, Lord, forgive me. I thought I'd gotten victory in that area. And God says, no, son, I saw that, and I had to allow you to go through something so you could see it. But now that you see it, if you'll confess it, I'll cleanse it. And you can come through this free of a lot of that junk. You see, the dealings of God can work to purify us and improve us if we respond properly. And it's a loving Father that's doing that. Because he wants me to become more like Jesus than I want to become like Jesus. Amen? He wants me to be conformed to the image of Christ. So he'll purposely bring me through things, not to condemn me, not because he does does love me. Amen? I mean, I look for excuses to share things with my boys. I've done this all my life. I mean, I've studied, done seminar all my life. I might as well give them something. I want to give them things that took me 50-some-odd years to learn. I want to give them things I learned from people that God's used to 
to preach to 100,000 people at a clip. I'm sharing them things that I've learned. Same that's our Heavenly Father. He wants to work on us and improve us and help us. These are some of the ways he did. All right, 2 Corinthians 5 and 10. Look at this. It's God. It's the Lord. We have to stand before God. This is beautiful. Paul says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We, we might not all live wholeheartedly, but we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Amen? We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive, you and I may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Think about that. Again, this is very similar to what we, we just read earlier. This is similar. And now let's look at this. First thing is, there will be a reckoning. There, there'll be a reckoning. There'll be a, um, a revealing. Let me get it in order. First, there's a revealing. That word appear, it means to reveal. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And it's going to reveal. How have I lived? What has my motives been? Did I obey the Lord? Appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive. There's going to be a reckoning. I gotta receive. Let me get my notes. I don't want to mess you up here with the outline. Here we go. Judgment seat of Christ. We will all appear before the Lord. A future event when God's people will stand before the Savior as their works are judged and rewarded and rewarded. The judgment seat of Christ will be a place, number one, of revelation. The appear means to be revealed. The true character of my works will be exposed. What have I done with my life since I came to Jesus? What have I done with my life since I really got saved? How have I spent my life? The one that's done so much for me, what have I done in return to him? Again, the character, the quality, the motives of my service will be revealed on that day. We all appear. There's going to be a, re a revelation, a revealing. But you know, I, I can fake you. I can't fake him. Amen. I can fake, but I can't. Revelation, and then there's a reckoning. Then there's a reckoning. Because it says we have to give an account of our ministries, give an account of our lives. There's an appearing. All must, before the judgment, they give an account that each one may receive. There's a reckoning. I've got to give an account. And then I'm going to receive what is due. We'll receive. If we've been faithful, rewards and recognition and rejoicing. If not, there'll be some sadness. And there'll be some disappointment. Amen? But, but I want to hear, well done, thy faithful servant. When, when God checks out, I want him to see that I've done my best to live for him. I've done my best to serve him. I've made the most of the opportunities. Not everyone has the same gifts. Not everyone has the same intellects. But the opportunities that you've been given, have you made your best out of them? That's the key. He's not judging you to one another. He judges us to us. How have we lived with the life he's given us? Amen? So again, I want to make sure I, I'm not living this life flippantly and disobediently because there's coming a day when I'm going to stand before him and I want to be rejoicing. I want him to recognize that I've been a faithful son. I've been an obedient servant. Amen? All right. We close up this point. Next time we're going to get, next time we're going to start obedience and we're going to look at the characters in the blessings of obeying the will of God. We're going to talk about how different parts of that. But let me finish this up very, very quickly, very quickly. 
if I disobey the will of God, it will bring discipline and the dealing of God on me. Yet number two, I'm in danger of losing rewards and blessings on that day. Number three, it might cause me to fail to accomplish God's will for my life. I want to do God's will. Amen? I don't want to be disqualified. But if I don't live right, I'll get disqualified. If I don't obey the Lord, he can't use me. Amen? I remember Brother Garcia. He's retired now, but David Garcia built a great church up there in Brooksville. Wonderful church. I remember years ago saying, when I took this church, God spoke to me and said, David, you were number four. He said, Lord, what do you mean? You were the fourth person I tried to get to come to this church. You were number four. The other three didn't obey. The other three said no. And I went to that place. And I'll give you all a story. But you know, at first, even his wife was saying, we're going where? To Brooksville? We still got the Confederate flag up there. You know, we just coming from New York City. You know, she said, really, are you kidding you know, they're too span. They're looking really, you know, honey, you sure? Because, honey, baby, I, I know. I, I know this is crazy, too. This is nuts. I don't know where God's bringing us. They're from the Bronx, all right? And he goes, I don't know what we're doing here, but God, I know God sent me. God, God knows everything, don't he? See, they sent late 80s that came. That next decade, that county saw such an influx from the Northeast. And when they all started coming down, they loved that name, Garcia. And he's a great teacher, preacher of the word and that place. And so he went there, and he took it for a couple hundred to be built that beautiful big dome. Not the prettiest thing in the world, but it sure is nice on the inside. And, I mean, he running a thousand people all those years later, going to a place where they say, what in the world is God sending us here for? But he knew it was God, and when he got there and things started getting blessed, God said, don't get so cocky, son. You were the fourth person I picked here. You were the fourth choice. Think of those other three. When they stand before the Lord, God said, I had a wonderful work for you to do in Brooksville. I wanted to use you in a special way. And you said, no, because it was too, you know, whatever. Hmm? So when I disobey, it can cause me to fail to accomplish God's will for my life, reject God's good plan and purpose for my life. And lastly, like we said at the beginning, if I disobey the Lord, it brings unnecessary trouble, not only into my life, but into the life of my loved ones around me. You think about that. Aren't you glad you didn't belong to Cora's family? Aren't you glad you weren't part of Cora's family? That when his big mouth finally got judged, you didn't get swallowed up with it. See, you got to watch who you hang with. You got to watch who you, you know, you got to watch all that. Isn't that true? Amen. Aren't you glad your husband, what name, what Ananiah? Isn't that right? Of course, Sapphira just trying to be a just trying to be a supportful wife. Sometimes the wife's got to put their foot down and say, "Honey, if you're not doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord, I ain't following you." Woo! Uh, yeah, what the hell? I know I'm looking at the clock. I could run with that one. Isn't that right? All right, Sapphira trying to be a good wife. Well, she died too. Got to follow the Lord first. Got to follow the Lord first. Amen? Go ahead and say amen. I know. Or you can die with a rebel. Amen? Die with a rebel. See, that's what happens. You've got to watch that. You've got to watch who you're with. And if you're, if you're the man or woman of God, you've got to walk holy. 
you're going to walk obedient. If you disobey, that curse will come on your kids. That judgment will fall on them, innocent as they are. Isn't that true? Oh, yeah. David's sin caused a lot. Didn't Lot's choices cause a lot of mess in his family, didn't it? Right? Lot was a believer. He should have known better. But Lot's poor choices, look at the mess it brought to his daughters. Think about that. Happens all the time, folks. I'll close with this story. And see how innocent this gets. But when we don't walk in obedience, we don't spread blessing. We spread curses. Never forget a wonderful family back home. You learn a lot of things just growing up in church. Even if your dad just a regular blue-collar worker, but you grow up in it, you see a lot of things, and you remember a lot of things. Had a wonderful family, good family. Farmers back home. Big family, good family. You know, on the farm, they have them big families. They spread them out, you know. They, they got them in different generations, and um, they're good. Something happened along the way in church. <laughs> My home church. Brother Beach had to come twice to resurrect that mess. I mean, there's always seemed to be problems. That man of God come in, bring peace, and get it back on his feet. But during one of the problems, they got offended by something. And so they'd always been faithful. Uh, I mean, Sunday morning, Wednesday night. So those first three kids, their first three oldest kids, grew up with God. Years later, all serving God. All serving God. Then they got bitter about something. You know, church went through one of those knockout, drag outs. Seemed like every seven years our church is going through it back in the day. But anyway, they're they, they going through it. They got offended. Didn't come to church. Didn't come to church for 10 or 20 years. Those last three kids didn't know God at all. You, you wouldn't, you'd be amazed to say, how could six kids raised under the same roof with the same be so different? Those three of them grew up when mom and dad were obeying God. And honoring God's house. The other three grew up in a home where mom and dad were rebelling against God and disobeying and not honoring God's house. And regardless of how innocent they were, the choices of their parents had a terrible impact on their life. Oh, yeah. We got to take walking with God seriously. We got to recognize I don't live to myself. Amen? Others are affected by the way I live. So I've got to strive to do my best not just so I can be right before God one day, but those around me. I don't want to curse them. I want to bless them. Can you say amen to that? Next week, we're going to get to obedience when we obey the will of God. And we're going to talk about the will of God and the desire of our hearts and the passion for that. But we'll close this down. Oh, God, help us, Lord, to be men and women that are serious and sincere in our pursuit to please and obey you, to walk in your ways. When we know your will, we're going to do your will. We're going to seek first your kingdom. We're going to live according to your word. When we miss it, we're not going to make excuses, but we're going to be quick to apologize and say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, teach me how to change. When we miss the mark, we won't blame others but we'll humble ourselves and we'll say, Lord, help me to overcome this thing. Help me to get back up after this mess. Oh, God, help us to be men and women that strive to please you, that strive to be men and women 
that are living sacrifices, sold out believers who wholeheartedly give their best to please and obey their Savior and their King. Help us, Lord, to fulfill our ministries. Help us, Lord, to fulfill our callings, to do the things you've given us to do, to be faithful with the opportunities you give us. And Lord, help us to live in such a way where those that are loved ones, those that are in our sphere, will be blessed by our lives, protected by our lives, lifted up by our lives. Oh, God, bless these dear ones. Take each of us to a new place of knowing you, a new place of serving you. In Jesus' name, and everyone said,